0: Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast, and on this week's episode, we are going to be focused on games one and two of the NBA Eastern Conference second round between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers, what I see and predict from this series, how games have been going, and giving you my own thoughts on the playoffs and basketball in general, um, and kind of discussing... Um, all of it so uh, we're going to go with that and started off with the Boston Celtics taking on the Philadelphia 76ers the Celtics ended up winning their series against Atlanta um, and we saw what was the victory of four game sweep between Brooklyn and Philly Philly got that victory Um, Brooklyn just didn't have what it was uh, taken to uh, to win that series and the Celtics and uh, their series had a little bit of trouble with Atlanta, but not enough where it was much of a worry. And so the Boston Celtics went into this series. Um, you were expecting them to uh, come out and, you know, win the first two games, maybe split the series um, in the first two. And then, you know, go game three, game four, split that. This is a series that has seven games written all over it. And after the first two, I can definitely see uh something like that taking place or who knows maybe you know after game two uh things can change in the sort of favor of uh the boston celtics so um i kind of want to go through these first two games celtics ended up losing game one 119 to 115 they were up through a lot of this game like they were up in the first they were uh, up in the second they were up in the third but they just they really just couldn't get it done Um, when it was all said and done, they lost by four points, um, and 18 points for Tobias Harris, uh, Paul Reed had a double-double, 10 and 13 rebounds, filling in for, uh, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid was actually named, uh, MVP first time, so you got Harden MVP, and you got Joel Embiid MVP on the same team. Uh, 17 points for, uh, DeAnthony Melton off the bench. You didn't see a lot of the other guys play, um, but that was their, um, their group, Tatum had 39 and 11 rebounds, 11 points for Al Horford, 12 points for Marcus Smart, 23 points for Jalen Brown. Um, when the Celtics players have a good night, then they have a good night. Brogdon had 20 off the bench, uh, and he had a great game. Uh, Rob Williams only had 6.7 rebounds, and Grant Williams and Sam Hauser didn't really play that much. And it was not a good game. You know, it was a game that was winnable, they couldn't do it and it stunk uh to watch um and i was you know kicking the couch a few times you know with some of the mistakes that they made in that game and then you get to game number two which um game number two was a lot different because they basically said hold up we're not letting you guys take this series and so going from what was a close game one game two was uh as much of a blowout as you can expect boston 121 philadelphia 87 the celtics did not let up they swept all four quarters winning each one and the third quarter and fourth quarter they just blew the roof off and they basically told philly hey we know what you're doing but it's our time to shine we're stepping in and we're making it happen Joel beat had 15 points in his first game Tobias Harris had 16. He was our leading scorer for Philadelphia. 13 for Tyrese Maxey. 12 for James Harden. When James Harden's uh, cold, um, James Harden's cold, their team is just out of sync. Um, Jason Tatum was also cold. Seven points in the game. Uh, seven rebounds. Uh, Al Horford had five points and seven rebounds. But um, 15 for Marcus Smart. 15 for Derek White. Jalen Brown had 25. 12 for Grant Williams. Uh, 23 off the. The bench for Brogdon. Brogdon. Brogdon's been stepping up in this series. So, Philadelphia 76ers take their talents um, across uh, to their home court uh, for game number three. We get ourselves um, that one. So, this could be a game uh, seven type situation with these teams. I think, you know, this is a series that is going to be back and forth. This is going to be. No cupcake walk um this is not something that is going to be in my opinion easy for um everyone uh and is definitely something that at the end of the day is not going to be something of a um easy go of it um doc rivers knows head coaching in the playoffs uh but i don't know if he knows how to do things uh against this team in Boston, um, He was the Boston Celtics head coach, but things have changed. Brad Stevens is here, not Danny Ainge. Joe Mazzula is coming into this as the fresh face and is coming into this as the new guy on the street. And I think, you know, what Mazzula brings is the fact that he's been an assistant coach for nine years under Brad Stevens, under IMA, under, you know, these circumstances. And it's, it's not... Uh, something that uh, he's uh, unused to being the head coach maybe but not being within this organization and seeing how they play ball and so you have uh, a new head coach in Missoula taking on a veteran head coach with experience in uh, Doc Rivers Um, so that's going to be a battle right there in and of itself and Doc Rivers knows the garden Uh, not that it really makes a difference but he's obviously coached here uh, with Pierce and Garnett and company so that's definitely something of, I guess you could say, a little bit of an advantage. Not that it makes a difference too much, but he knows Philly. He knows Boston, whereas Missoula just knows Boston in that case. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how this series goes overall. Uh, I just saw a few things. Uh, Aime Udoka signed a agreement to be the new head coach of the Houston Rockets. Um, and apparently... Uh, you make some mistakes and you go all the way down the ladder to the worst team in the Western Conference. Um, so, Aimei Udoka is, uh, now, uh, going to the, uh, Houston Rockets. Um, I also saw that, um, there was, uh, some other news recently. Mike Bootenholzer got fired by the Milwaukee Bucks. He won them a championship. He got them, uh, you know, to the finals and, uh, they had a embarrassing loss in the first round to, uh, you know, the Miami Heat. It was embarrassing, and unfortunately for um, for him, his time is up. Uh, this is an unfortunate situation, uh, by all accounts, because um, you know he was a good head coach. He was with Atlanta. He was a good head coach there. He went to Milwaukee. Um, I'm sure he's going to get back on his feet. Maybe he'll go to Toronto. Maybe he'll go to another team that loses out on a head coach. Uh, Who knows? But I honestly think he'll get back on his feet and get a coaching job somewhere else. But my thing now with Milwaukee is Milwaukee is getting older. Like, their core players are getting older. Besides, I guess, Giannis, who's in his prime. Drew Holiday's in his 30s. Chris Middleton's either in his 30s or getting to his 30s. Um, Brooke Lopez is in his 30s. You know, Joe Ingles is in his 30s. You know, there are so many players here they are just way too old. This team is going to age rapidly, but also you have Drew Holiday, Brook Lopez, um, you know Drew, uh, Chris Middleton. They're all on contracts that are just super huge. I mean, at least uh, Chris Middleton and uh, Drew Holiday. So that's like 70 million right there. And then I think Brooke Lopez is making like 13 million. So you got like 85, close to 85 million, 80, 85 million in these three players and you know they're getting older and this team is getting older and you know you've traded away all of your first round picks for the foreseeable future to bring in drew holiday and so the knicks have one uh pick coming from milwaukee you know you have a ton of them coming from um the uh new orleans pelicans when they made the drew holiday deal and so you know you're kind of in a tough spot here uh and it's kind of tough uh, to deal with. Kind of like the Lakers because Lakers have a bunch of their picks uh, shuffled around between uh, organizations, Utah, uh, New Orleans. Um, there's a lot of teams out there that don't have their first-round picks. And there's a very small number of uh, teams that have a bevy of draft picks from teams. Uh, Houston, um, Brooklyn has some now. Brooklyn doesn't even have their own picks, but they acquired other picks and. You have, um, you know, other teams out there. New Orleans, Utah, uh, OKC has uh, a shit ton of picks. um, And uh, this is going to lead to, like, the top 10 NBA teams having, like, no draft picks. And, like, the bottom 10 teams owning, like, everything for the foreseeable future. Like, some teams are very good with their draft picks. But others are uh, willing to give up their picks for um, the right price. Um, And so... Uh Milwaukee obviously um you know it was uh what happened uh for them uh was their draft picks are gone Mike Bootenholzer is uh you know gone and their players are getting older so the Milwaukee dynasty could be slipping slowly and I don't know what that means for Giannis if the Bucks try and trade him to recoup what they can cuz he can bring in a ton but I don't really know what's going to happen so uh, Milwaukee could be sliding down the, the pole and it could be getting towards the end of their run. Um, but the Celtics are still looking good coming up on Game 3. So we'll see what happens with them. Uh, switching gears to a lesser uh, note, a sadder note. Uh, the Boston Bruins lost their series to the Panthers in terrible fashion. They were up 3-1 to one going into Game 5. Um, and they lost 3 straight. They lost Game Number 5 in overtime. They got blown out by the Panthers in Game 6. And then Game 7 comes around, and they lose that one. So not only do they lose um, two games in a row, they lose the last one. And they put Swayman in the last game, and uh, it does nothing. So what they should have did was they should have played Game 5 and lost Game 5. And then put Swayman in Game 6, lost Game 6, and then Swayman would have won Game 7 because he would have had at least... One game to learn from uh, what the Florida Panthers were doing. But instead, they throw him in Game 7. Even though the whole season they've been going back and forth with Swayman and Olmark. They choose right now to go and slap in Swayman at the last minute. And expect him to just accept that. With no prior practice or anything. Just no game. Like, you should have put him in like easily in Game 6. And then he would have had one game where he would have got the kinks out. Learned what they're doing in Florida, and then been like, okay, game seven, it's on me. And he would have probably saved the day. Because Allmark was letting up like three goals a game. And it just was uh, not good, right? Because they ended up uh, losing uh, game two, six to three. Then they ended up uh, winning uh, the... Games uh, three and four, six to two and four to two, but then after that they just it just went downhill and so uh, it was tough. Um, and then you have game seven, which um, you know it was like a minute and a half left and they were up by one, so it was three to two and you're like, okay, this is pretty much done. They pulled the goalie, you know, you're gonna win this game, and sure as shit they didn't even win this game. Uh, it went into overtime because the Panthers scored, and uh, then you get into overtime uh, Bruins have a chance to win it um, and it just misses like people are saying oh the shot it just missed and in in any other circumstances it would have probably went in but it didn't I think just the gods were against us in this one they were like we don't want you guys to win after game six they're like yeah we're done with you guys like Panthers had the momentum and it just it, it was it was done now I want to say something and I'm not someone who believes in any of that script BS. Um, but there are people who believe in it. But if you do, there was something that took place in Game 7 that makes you want to think, oh, something's going on here. So game is 3-2, uh, to two, uh, pulled goalie, and it's 6-on-5, uh, and you're basically in the Bruins uh, goalpost area, and they're passing the puck around, doing their thing, and on the screen, top left corner, it says, goal, Florida Panthers. So it had showed that the Florida Panthers had scored a goal, even though they were still just playing hockey. No goal, nothing, but the scoreboard up top showed it. Uh, it didn't change like the score from 3-2 to 3-3, to three to three, but it just said goal, Florida Panthers. And then it went away. And it wasn't like it was just up there and then went away like they made a mistake. It was like up there for a little bit, and then it kind of went away and so people are thinking, oh, was this a script? Were they supposed to score? And sure enough, they scored, you know, a few uh, seconds afterwards or whatever. But everyone was talking about, oh, is there something scripted here? Did the Bruins, you know, miss out on something because it was scripted? Now, I I don't know. They could have just made a mistake. But that does make you think. And I'm not the type of person who thinks things are scripted. Some people like to say that, um, but I, I just don't. Um, and so this leaves the Bruins... Uh, as uh, the top team, they had the best record, and they couldn't do it, and, you know, Golden State made the NBA Finals with the perfect, you know, top seed record, you know, they beat the Bulls, 73 wins, Uh, you know, the Bulls had 72 wins and won a championship, they ended up getting 73, and they just couldn't beat LeBron and the Cavaliers, and, you know, I think there's a curse to having those, um, you know, things, right? Patriots almost had the perfect season, but they lost it. You know, teams have such great records, and then they just lose it. And so the Bruins obviously uh, lost with the best record, wins, and losses in the regular season out of anyone in NHL history. Now, is this the worst loss in the history of all of uh, Boston sports? Now, there are some people who are saying, oh, well, it could be the Celtics. They were up and then Game 6 they lost, and Game 7 they lost in 2010. I don't think that's the case. Um, There is some who say the Super Bowl where it was the perfect season. I I probably wouldn't say that either just because I think, you know, this one is a first-round loss. You get to the championship game and you lose. Okay, you get to the championship. What else? You know, but if you don't get to the championship game and it turns out that you instead uh, lose in the first round, that's a bigger loss in my opinion. Uh, I honestly think it's a sort of worse situation what the Bruins dealt with because they couldn't even get that far and they lost in the first round to the Panthers and I gotta say you know congratulations to the Panthers on moving to the next round but at the same time this thing's like you guys were good you brought in those players you traded away draft picks you brought in Bertuzzi you brought in Orlov you brought in Hathaway. and these are great guys but you know, it's tough because now you've spent so much money on, you know, all of your other players, Pasta re for a long deal and whatnot, and so some of these free agents aren't going to be sticking around, you know, and it's going to be tough to, to kind of negotiate the contracts, and, you know, the Bruins, they, they wanted to go all in, and it just was like a big swing and a miss here, you know, they got to the batter's box, and it just, they couldn't do it, and it's tough, man, it's tough because the Bruins were just such a great team, and I really feel for um, for them because honestly, you know, you get that far uh, and you do so good and then you just lose it. It's it's tough, but next year's another year. They bounce back. We'll see what happens. So the final thing I want to take a look at in this uh, episode is Patriots and their new depth chart post NFL draft. So this is the depth chart as it sits in my opinion. How I think things will go with the new draft picks fitting and sliding into their respective positions so let's get started uh quarterback mac jones is your starter zappy is your second string mcsorley is your third string malik cunningham is the fourth string if he's on the roster so you have um obviously mac jones no question he's your starter um there were a lot of rumors about him getting traded on draft night that ain't happening the team's got to at least keep him around and Mac Jones, I think, is going to have a rebound year, especially with Bill O'Brien and this team. Uh, So no questions there. Ramondre Stevenson is your top running back. And then you have James Robinson, Pierre Strong Jr., Ty Montgomery, and Kevin Harris in that order. Some people could argue Pierre Strong Jr. is the second string, but James Robinson, I think, will take that for now. He has the experience um, more so. So I think he is a, um, a good player for sure. Uh, then you have the Patriots and their wide receivers. So this is my wide receiver depth chart. In my opinion, I don't know if this is how it's going to shake up. Juju Smith-Schuster is your one. Tyquan Thornton's your two. Kendrick Bourne's your three. Keishawn Butts is your four. Devontae Parker is your five. Demario Douglas is your six, and down the line. Uh, obviously, Kendrick Bourne is going to get a bigger role. Uh, you know, no Jacoby Myers. Um, I feel like they have to show something from him. Uh, taekwon Thornton needs a step forward as a second-year guy and as a second-round pick. Um, we didn't draft a you know wide receiver till the sixth round, so it's one of those things where we really need to you know make sure that Tyquan Thornton looks and plays great, so it can be worth it. Because if the Patriots you know fail with taekwon Thornton, like fail with Nikhil Harry, fail with all these other guys, like is it gonna be something where the Patriots ever draft like? A top wide receiver, like obviously, you can make the case this year there wasn't anyone worth taking because they were all lower graded than they were going to get drafted. But if you know Taekwondo Thornton doesn't work out, then what are they going to do for the future? So I hope he works out. I've said this myself, uh, and I think this is true. Keishawn Boutte and Demario Douglas are both rookies. One of those guys is going to have an incredible career in New England. And going to be a stud. And people are going to say, oh, this guy slipped. Why is he not someone who got drafted higher? And then you're going to have one guy who just fades away. Like, he's not going to play more than, like, three seasons in New England, if that. So that's my prediction. I'm going to bet that Keyshawn Boutte comes back healthy and is like, I got to prove people wrong. And he has, like, a monster career and is, like, one of the best wide receivers for the Patriots. And then I think Demario Douglas, unfortunately, is the odd man that probably is going to be the one that kind of fades away into the darkness. Yes, people are saying he could be a third-day Zay Flowers type, and maybe that's what the Patriots wanted. Um, They saw this guy, and they're like, well, he has a lot of qualities that Zay Flowers has. Why are we going to waste a first-round pick? But I just think, you know, undersized, uh, and, you know, I want to see both these guys succeed, but if I had to pick one, um, it's definitely Keyshawn Boutet. Now, at tight end, there's no real question. It's going to be Hunter Henry and uh, Mike Gusecki. Um And that's about what I got for you. Uh, and the only question I have is where uh, Johnny Lumpkin fits in. Um, he was the rookie um, that they ended up snagging, uh, undrafted free agent guy. Uh, so I want to know where uh, he fits into the e- equation uh, because I think he has um, a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of potential success uh, coming, and uh, I think he is someone who um, could end up being, uh, you know, a steal for the Patriots, and more so a steal from the undrafted free agency pool, because, you know, the Patriots tend to keep one guy on the roster who is an undrafted free agent, you know, Quinn Norton was that guy for a while, they had Jacoby Myers, you know, they find guys in diamonds in the rough, and everyone was talking about how they need a Blocking tight end, a blocking tight end. Well, Johnny Lumpkin, blocking tight end. So Hunter Henry and Mike Isecki are going to be your kind of pass-catching wide receiver type tight ends. And then you're going to have Johnny Lumpkin, who is more of a blocking tight end. And, uh, you know, they have other you know tight ends on the roster. Matt Scholes, Scotty Washington. Both those guys probably won't do much. But barring injuries, you got one and two, Hunter Henry and Mike Isecki. So that's just my own thoughts on that. Um, then we have uh, your tackles um, and guards and all of the offensive line. So the offensive line, as it sits, is Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Michael Owanu, Riley Reef. Uh, no question, that's your starters. Trent Brown could get subbed out for um, you know Calvin Anderson eventually if one is doing better than the other. But we didn't draft a, a tackle. We didn't draft a tackle. That's just how it is. Um, you know Cole Strange and Michael Owanu. Are here. Um, I was listening to uh, the NFL Sirius Radio, and they were talking about the Patriots and how they didn't draft a tackle. But some people have said that we could see Sidney So swap to the tackle position, or Antonio Maffi become a tackle eventually. And you probably think that these guards are here uh, if Owano leaves in for agency next year. But you never know; one of these guys could come up and be a tackle. Because it doesn't really make a ton of sense to draft these guards, two of them, if you're not going to use them in other positions. Because we didn't need really a guard. We needed tackles. And, you know, I think they needed to go for the position it need, which they didn't, unless one of these guys will eventually slide to that position. Or, eventually, Michael Iwanu moves back to right tackle, which is a position where he's played in college, I think. And so, you know, if... Eventually, Michael Iwano resigns with the Patriots and moves to right tackle and takes that spot, and then they're like, okay, well, we're going to give uh, the right guard position to whoever's better, Sidney So or Antonio Moffey. Maybe they do that. Who knows? Um, there's also Connor McDermott, and there's also um, some other guys in the, the bench unit. Uh, there is uh, Jake Andrews, who is probably going to take over for David Andrews, which means the Andrews. Last name lives on with the Patriots. Um, and so David Andrews had Tom Brady, and Jake Andrews will have Mac Jones. Um, but, you know, Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Michael Wano, Riley Reef. That's your uh, starting unit uh, day one, barring injuries. Then we have our defense. Um, and so our defense is as follows uh, our defensive ends, Dietrich Wise Jr., and Lawrence Guy. Nose tackle Davon Godchuk uh, and Christian Barmore. Um, Barmore is probably going to start over Godchuk, um, in my opinion, but ESPN has Godchuk as the number one for now. Um, But again, I think it's Christian Barmore starting it all. Then Keon White is a backup uh, right defensive end, which means there is the potential for him to take over eventually as a starter uh, at some point. Who knows? Uh, they drafted him high enough for a reason, so we'll have to kind of see where he fits into the equation. Probably not this year, but for the future for sure. So our linebacker situation, we have uh, Matthew Judon, uh, Juwan Bentley, uh, Javai T- Talai, and Josh Yuchi. Uh, those are your core starters with uh, Mac Wilson and Arfany Jennings and Raquan McMillan all coming on the bench unit. Um, then we have our corner safety unit which is cornerbacks Jonathan Jones and Christian Gonzalez, safeties Cal Duggar, Jabril Peppers. So uh, Christian Gonzalez is going to get that starting spot right across from Jonathan Jones, which is important because you drafted him in the first round for a reason in hopes that they actually, you know, get the spots that they want them to get. And so he's going to be the other, you know, starter Christian Gonzalez, Jonathan Jones. Now safeties is interesting because the safeties unit Um, is really just uh, Carol Duggar. And then you have sort of a cavalcade of other guys filling the spots with um, the unfortunate situation of Devin McCourty's retirement. Well-deserved career. Um, That means that Adrian Phillips, Jalen Mills, and uh, Marte Mapu are all going to probably get tasked at some point during the year with playing time. Um, With Jabril Peppers being sort of your uh, second option to Kyle Duggar, Um, they didn't really address the free agency um, safety or the draft safety outside of uh, Mapu, who is more of a safety linebacker combination guy, and who knows where he's going to fit into that uh, rotation of players, but I think we're going to have Jabril Peppers with um, Kyle Duggar as your 1A and your 1B, um, and that's where they'll go. Now, special teams unit is just totally different, man. Um, punter is uh, Bryce Behringer, your kicker is Chad Reichlin, and um, you have Marcus Jones punt return, kick returns, and Joe Zarnota is back once again. So, um, this is the uh, situation here. Um, obviously, Nick Folk's getting older, so Chad Reichlin's going to be your starter, uh, and who knows if Nick Folk's even going to play. Um, Corliss Waitman was brought in, but... By no means does that mean he's going to be the starter. I think Bryce Berringer is going to be the starter. Um, and then you have your special teams unit um, of Marcus Jones' his punt return, kick return. Um, one thing that I did learn is that Isaiah Bolden has also done special teams work in his past with Jackson State. Um, and uh, Deion Sanders had a few words to say about how only one of his players, or one player in Programs like his former school was, um, only got drafted, and he was upset about that. Uh, Now he's at Colorado, but he had some words to say um, about uh, Jackson State not uh, getting the love they deserve, and Isaiah Bolden was the one guy who got that spot. We'll see where the depth chart kind of pans out, especially with cuts and guys who come in from other teams that were cut, and we'll kind of have to watch the whole situation unfold.